Good morning. It's Tuesday, the 7th of November, and this is Govindraj Ethiraj coming to you from Mumbai, India's smogged out financial capital. Our top stories and themes for the day. Rating agency Fitch upgrades India's GDP target to 6.2%. Indian stock markets hit a two-week high. Indians are buying fewer entry-level cars, leading to massive inventory build-ups amongst dealers. The 200,000 crore subsidy bill for food grain, how will the government foot it? Delhi's air quality stays severe, the local government now to go in for an odd-even day car scheme. And Emirates wants to convert passenger aircraft to cargo on strong cargo demand. This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. Fitch upgrades its GDP targets. In a general boost for India's economic confidence, rating agency Fitch on Monday upgraded India's GDP mid-term growth forecast by 70 basis points to 6.2%. Its earlier forecast was 5.5% and it follows other rating agencies who've been upgrading their forecasts. For 23-24, that's next year, Fitch has said that India is expected to grow at 6.3%. Fitch also blamed China for pulling down the estimate of 10 emerging countries to 4% from 4.3% earlier reported the business standard. The reduction is mainly due to a large reduction of 0.7 percentage points to the estimate of China's supply side growth potential. Fitch said in its report, emerging market potential growth weakens as China slows. China's mid-term growth forecast has been cut from 5.3 to 4.6%. However, Fitch said that they have made large upgrades to India and Mexico with the latter benefiting from much better outlook for the capital to labor ratio. India's estimate is higher at 6.2% from 5.5% and Mexico at 2% from 1.4%, Fitch said. Fitch also said that its latest estimates remain below its pre-pandemic potential growth projections for all the top 10 emerging markets except Brazil and Poland. Fitch said that this reflects deteriorating demographic trends and the legacy of disruptions from the pandemic and the latter is partly reflected through revisions to projections for capital stock and productivity growth it said but some scarring effects it said are hard to capture and it has now made additional downward level shock adjustments to historical estimates of potential gdp in 2020 and 2021 for mexico indonesia india and south africa so that's just to give you a sense of the peer group india is in Meanwhile Indian markets had a good day today that's back home obviously closing at a two week high thanks to positive sentiments flowing in mostly from the United States The benchmark Sensex advanced 595 points to close at 64959 the Nifty 50 on the other hand closed up 181 points at 19412 12 of the 13 major sectors logged gains after data pointed to a cooling US labor market raising hopes that the Federal Reserve is done with rate hikes Reuters reported adding that broader Asian markets also extended gains with the MSCI Asia X Japan index rising over 2% analysts at Morgan Stanley told Reuters that the strong run in Indian equities can continue further as the country offers the best growth opportunity within Asia adding that higher for longer rates in the United States will not necessarily lead to rate hikes by the Reserve Bank of India. Foreign portfolio investors however continue to sell Indian stocks at least at this point as they've been doing for the last 2 months and more. The rupee strengthened 7 paise to close at 83 rupees 22 paise to the dollar on Monday 
and remember on friday if you did it closed at 83 rupees 29 paise the only reason i'm referring to the rupee to dollar rates is because it's been hitting all time lows that's the rupee against the dollar in recent weeks meanwhile oil is currently quoting just below 86 dollars to a barrel a little higher than what it was over the weekend but also reinforcing the point that it seems to have broken free from the tensions of the middle east Speaking of oil, investment bank Morgan Stanley has estimated a sustained oil price of $110 a barrel could undermine India's economic stability, likely forcing the central bank to resume hiking interest rates, reports the Business Standard. Now, I will come to whether any of this or this is anything to worry about, but the calculations are useful to know. As the world's third biggest consumer of oil, India is one of the most exposed economies in Asia to rising crude prices. A $10 increase in oil prices boosts inflation by 50 basis points and contributes to a 30 basis point widening in the current account balance Morgan Stanley's economists have estimated. Oil above $110 a barrel would be destabilizing for the economy, the investment bank said, resulting in higher domestic fuel prices and second round inflationary effects. The current account deficit would also likely widen to beyond the comfort level of 2.5% of GDP it said. With macro stability indicators stretched under this scenario, we think currency depreciation pressures could rise and lead the Reserve Bank of India to restart its rate hike cycle. Morgan Stanley's economists, led by Chetan Iyer, wrote in a note on Sunday as reported in the Business Standard. Now, the central bank's forecasts are based on a crude oil price of $85 a barrel in the second half of the current fiscal year, which ends in March 2024. And Morgan Stanley's base case for oil prices is to be sustained at $95 a barrel which could be more manageable for the economy it said. So that brings us to the question about what is the overall prognosis for oil. Actually as things stand it seems reasonably steady to good at least from a purchase price point of view. Now despite the tensions in the Middle East oil prices have actually not shot up nor did they do so when Iran and Russia cut back on output. The problem is really demand which is again the concern now as we've been discussing on the core report as recently as yesterday. India's basket of crude oil prices averaged around $87 a barrel as of November 2nd compared to an average of $90 a barrel for all of October. Oil prices of course seem steady with no major overhang and of course we'll have to wait for a few more weeks to see how that pans out. But lest you go away thinking all is hunky and dory it is not. There are other big voices who are predicting tougher times a global recession could be triggered by the conflict in the middle east as the humanitarian crisis compounds the challenges facing an already precarious world economy two of wall street's biggest names have won recently money control quoted interviews by both to the sunday times larry fink ceo of the world's largest asset manager blackrock said a combination of the hamas atrocities of october 7th israel's resultant attack on gaza and russia's invasion of ukraine last year had pushed the world almost to a whole new future in a separate interaction jamie diamond the chair of america's biggest bank jp morgan said the world is facing a crisis that is arguably the most serious since 1938 indians are buying less entry level cars causing massive inventory build ups Back home and on the road quite literally India's retail vehicle sales fell 7.7% from a year earlier in October the Federation of Automobile Dealers of India or FADA said on Monday adding that a build up of inventory of passenger vehicles was a cause for concern 
The average inventory for the PV segment raised from 63 days to 66 days in October, an all-time high, Fada said. Inventory days refers to the average number of days it takes to sell a unit. More than 30 days and dealers get hurt, Manish Raj Singhania, president of Fada, told the core report. Entry-level vehicles, mostly from the largest car maker, that's Maruti Suzuki, Tata Motors and Kia Corporation, contributed to most of that inventory build-up, Reuters said. While, in keeping with past trends, demands for sports utility vehicles have continued to soar. Mr. Singhania told the court that the Navratra period that's leading up to the Sera festival in October were good, where two-wheeler sales were up 22% compared to last year and four-wheelers up 18%. The concern to him, however, was post-Dipavali, which comes up next weekend, and what would happen after that. I reached out to Manish Raj Singhania and I began by asking him why inventory levels were so high. In anticipation of a good festival, dealers had definitely accumulated stocks. Last year, if you recollect, dealers could not supply according or could not address the demand. And there was a huge gap between supply and demands and we were kind of left out. And consumers were also kind of left out. So this time, dealers were kind of more prepared to address consumer requirements. And they really wanted to lap up vehicles from OEM so that they could address every type of consumer requirement and their desire to purchase the vehicle. But what has happened? See, half of the festive is gone. So supposedly at this point, we should see some reduction in inventory, but still at uh, in PV, especially it continues to be on a very high platform, close to 65 days. So that's at a very critical level. So what is very pertinent here that OEMs need to take cognizance of this status and they need to correct inventories. And correct inventories means they need to build lesser vehicles. And they need to build vehicles which are actually required by the consumer, which will go directly for sale and not just built up stock in the dealership. November would be very critical. We do have festival like the Pauli and Dhanteras here, where if it goes on good, then we can see a substantial reduction. But finally, if the wholesales are equivalent to what we are seeing right now in the month of October, then it can be a very critical position for the dealerships. You said that inventory of cars which people are not buying is increasing. So I'm assuming SUVs are doing well, entry-level small cars, etc. are not. Exactly. Sedans, entry-level car, hatchbacks, such kind of cars are not moving. In fact, I think now in October, the SUV penetration in overall PV sales is now close to 50 and 60%. So that's a huge increase. While this segment is fantastically growing in terms of percentage as well as numbers, we can definitely see the entry level going down and it is actually not a healthy sign. Somewhere or the other, our bottom of the pyramid customer is not finally able to afford a vehicle. So that's why I think probably the retails are going down. So it's not a very healthy sign, but that's a fact. Yeah, and that's, I guess, a more macroeconomic question. But you're also saying that manufacturers, of course, they know about the SUV trend and they've seen this coming for more than a year or two years perhaps, but are not able to recalibrate or are they not doing so? They need to recalibrate. OEMs are driven by numbers. Okay, they are listed companies and they need to report a certain number and accordingly their balance sheets and everything else, stock prices are decided. Say they get a certain amount of semiconductor. Okay, a higher variant, you know, with more features will require a lot more semiconductor than, you know, a lower variant. So rather than manufacturing one higher variant vehicle, which is already in booking at the dealership, they tend to manufacture two units or two and a half units of a lower variant of the same model, a lower variant, but the quantity goes up 
and accordingly their number goes up because all these companies are very number driven. So rather than addressing the actual consumer demand, they are just, you know, billing vehicles or manufacturing vehicles that is subsequently getting built up at the dealership. So if I were to ask you an illustration, so let's say in your own dealerships in Raipur, let's say if there are 100 cars right now parked, what would be the breakup of those 100 cars? See, I'm a Mahindra dealer. So almost 275-80 vehicles would be my entry-level cars of Mahindra brand. That would be Bolero, Bolero Neo, XUV 300, those kind of vehicles. And these are amply stocked at my dealership. And while if I go to my booking records, then you will see I have booking of Scorpio in, which the company has definitely improved supplies, but not up to the mark. And right model calibration, they are not able to provide. XUV 700 automatic transmission luxury package in good booking, and that is not available at the dealership. Thar two-wheel drive, that is in good booking, that is not available at the dealership. Scorpio Classic, that's in a good booking, that is not available at the dealership. But still, I continue to hold a 45-50 days speed-up stock. So that's the sad part. By now, we should have seen a certain number of sales. So obviously, this year, festival has got staggered between, let's say, Dasera and Diwali, which is now next week. So what is this exactly done to sales patterns as compared to previous years? We as our dealers, we always prefer, you know, having festivities in two separate months. It, you know, kind of gives us time to arrange stocks. Consumers tend to buy more at the Monday. I don't know what's the logic for it. It's very difficult to explain. But normally around 25-30% of your total monthly sales will come in the last week or last 10 days. So that's the story here. And Navratra has been very good. Auto industry created a all-time high. And on top of that, Two-wheeler, three-wheeler and passenger vehicles also created an all-time high record for Navratra retails. So the start has been very good and that's why the anticipation of dealers and the market, everything is in place. Supplies have improved, schemes have come in. Indian consumers are very attracted towards discounts. So discounts are now in place in not on the SUV side, but the entry-level and sedans and lower-end SUV segments. You are already seeing some schemes now. And good finance schemes have also been rolled out. So all this will definitely attract customers. I think just like Navratra is almost, we have grown by almost 18% compared to last year. Overall industry, last year Navratra to this year Navratra, it has grown by 18%. So that's a definite positive sign. And the best part is two-wheeler, which was lagging behind. April to August, two-wheeler dealers were struggling. But since September, since the start of Onam and Ganesh Chaturthi, we have started seeing some uptick in two-wheeler retails. And two-wheeler this time during Navratra has reported a growth of almost 22%. So that's a good sign. And two-wheeler sales also shows in some way or the other, the rural economy is also responding to the festive time. So overall, kind of, you know, during the festival time, whole, whether it is urban or semi-urban or rural economy, everybody is enjoying the fruits of festivities. But you're not expecting this to continue into Deepavali, right? This is your fear. No, I'm expecting this thing to continue till the public. That is definite. Retails are going to and retails are going to be good. But what happens after the public that just having a peak demand and during festive doesn't give kind of commendable say that two-wheeler segment has totally recovered. We need to be very clear this type of performance is displayed for say consistently for four to six months. Then only we can say the rural markets have recovered or two-wheeler segment is performing well. Spike during festival season is very obvious because we Indians tend to buy during Mohorat times and auspicious days. So that is very normal. 
but continuity of that growth should be there in coming months right manish thank you so much for joining me okay thank you thank you very much how will the government foot the 200000 crore bill The Prime Minister Mr Narendra Modi on Sunday announced he was extending the Pradhan Mantri Garib Kalyan Anna Yojana PMGKAY a free food grain distribution scheme for another 5 years. The move hopes to provide free food grain to 800 million poor Indians at the cost of 200000 crore rupees thus also setting a poverty benchmark of sorts since almost 57% of the population will be entitled to receive this food grain. The move may be fiscally manageable in the current financial year says the government as well but could put some pressure on government finances in future particularly if food grain prices rise this new version of pmgky initially had a tenure of 1 year and was scheduled to end on december 31st 23 but has been extended the food subsidy allocated for this financial year was around 197000 crores of which about 48% or 95000 crore has been exhausted as of september according to the controller general of accounts reported the business standard so the question now is how does this stack up given the current finances of the government and the other subsidy programs it has lined up and what's the strategic outcome or objective of this to understand this better i reached out to dr brinda jagirdar economist and earlier general manager and head of economic research at the state bank of india and i began by asking her how she was seeing this subsidy bill Before I come to the numbers, let me just give a little bit of context. Last year, the World Bank had done a study. I covered about more than 140 countries, and it said that these countries there are three problems in the world: the food crisis, the fuel crisis, and debt crisis, which these countries are facing. All these countries have either one or the other problem, and 70 of these countries have all three problems. So, food crisis is a very important, it's a very major problem throughout the world. So let's not single out India. India is no exception, and this was started in 2020 after the COVID as a measure to help the people. Now the government has decided to continue this subsidy. Look at this situation. I mean, that the globally things have almost come to a standstill where economic growth is concerned, or economies are growing reverse gear. And in such a situation, India seems to be growing and keeping its growth steady. So it's very important now. to make sure that this growth remains sustainable going forward so giving these food grains to more than 800 million people in the country is not just an effort to help them eat properly have a full meal but remember it's keeping them in the workforce and it's keeping students in colleges schools in the education system and i think this is very important from a future workforce point of view also yes it's going to cost about 2 trillion for yeah this whole cost of food grain distribution additional food grain distribution under this prime minister scheme is estimated to be about 2 trillion per year so which means if it's extended for another 5 years it's going to be that much more and for this year uh, 1.97 trillion has already been allocated so there will be additional certainly there will be stress on the fifth there's no doubt about that but at the same time look at the gst collections which are going up and there are more and more people coming into the formal sector paying taxes so i think that should sort of help to balance this and like i said keeping growth momentum going by making sure that the workforce is well fed and remains within the system that again will help to support growth so yes we have an additional expenditure but at the same time i think uh, it's important to make sure that in the long term interests of the economy are uh, taken care of 
Right. So you're in a way drawing a direct correlation between providing this subsidy and treating it more as an investment in people's health rather than as a subsidy to the poor. Absolutely. Especially given a situation like now when we have the whole world going through, you know, many, many countries going through a food crisis. Right. And if you were to look at this in the context of other subsidies and benefits, I mean, after all, we are in election season now up to next year. How do you see all of this adding up? It does put a strain on the fisc, there's no doubt about it. But at the same time, let's not link everything to the elections because elections come and elections go. But the economy has to continue, economy has to remain on, remain on a steady, even keel and continue to grow from here. And if you're going to target a $5 trillion economy, then we need to make that kind of investment, not just in capital goods, but also in the human infrastructure, in the social and physical infrastructure we're doing it, but even in, in people, in the social infrastructure. How are you seeing overall macroeconomic signals at this point, including, let's say, the trailing data that we've been seeing on inflation, GDP growth and so on? India definitely seems to be in a sweet spot and inflation, yes. But then, you know, right now, like I said, the geopolitics and the global supply chain, we really don't know what's happening in the world. And if there are any major disruptions from the external side, then it will definitely affect the Indian economy. But right now, I think inflation seems to be under control or not under, at least trending down and growth also seems to be keeping up. So right now, from the data that we've got, it looks like we're comfortable, but the world is in such a big state of flux that I would not be confident of saying that, you know, we are all fine and nothing's going to happen because really what will happen to our exports, what will happen to the supply chain and really what will happen to security? So we may have to spend more on that. So it's really a little difficult to say at this time. Things are a little muddied and not very clear. Brinda, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Govind. Wipro says, come back to office. Almost more predictably, more and more companies are asking employees to return to office. India's fourth largest software services firm, Wipro, told employees it's implementing a compulsory hybrid work policy starting November 15th, where staffers have to be present in the office at least three days a week, Money Control is reporting. Which means Wipro staffers too, like perhaps others, cannot be in some other location which is remote to the location that they are employed in. The mail from Wipro, which went out on November 6th, has been seen by Money Control, follows companies like TCS and Infosys who've mandated that employees work from office five days a week and 10 days a month respectively, which is that TCS is now saying that you have to return to office five days a week, there's a dress code as well, and 10 days a month for Infosys. Starting November 15th, all employees must be present at their assigned office location for at least three days a week. This change aims to enhance teamwork, facilitate face-to-face interactions, and strengthens Wipro's culture, the mail from Wipro's Chief Human Resources Officer read. And as we've been discussing on the core report, the outlook for most IT services companies is weak this year thanks to slowing demand and obviously calls for measures that go beyond more extended Zoom calls. Air quality deteriorates in the capital. The national capital of Delhi and its surrounding regions have announced on Monday that an odd-even scheme for vehicles will be implemented from November 13th to 20th even as air quality remains severe for the sixth day in a row. The vehicle scheme, of course, applies to Delhi city and state. Having been there over the last week, I can testify to the sheer and monstrous level of pollution and its ability to cause havoc with your constitution and nasal passages. The odd-even rule is a traffic curb in which private vehicles with registration numbers ending with an odd number 
will be allowed on roads on dates making odd numbers and those with an even number on dates making even numbers. So, before you drive off tomorrow or out, do check the registration number of your car if you're in Delhi, that is. The Delhi government has already ordered all school classes except 10th and 12th to be held online till November 10th. The heads of schools can decide to conduct the classes for students of 10th and 12th either through online or call them to school for physical classes. In effect, as I mentioned yesterday too, the problem is being transferred from the public space to the private space. So go and buy more air purifiers. According to data issued by the System of Air Quality Forecasting and Research that suffer in India, the AQI in Delhi was recorded at about 488 yesterday. That was up from 410 a day ago. Emirates to step up cargo. Emirates Airlines is considering ordering Boeing or Airbus freighters and may convert more passenger jets to expand its cargo fleet. This is interesting because among other things, sea freight rates and yields are dropping while air seems to be increasing, at least going by Emirates' demand for it. Last week, Tushar Jani of logistics company CSC and earlier co-founder of Blue Dart told me that Air India was flying goods or cargo from New York to Dubai but via Delhi hinting at the sheer demand as well as, of course, the cost-effectiveness of Air India cargo. Emirates and Qatar now are amongst the top three largest cargo carriers by international capacity, jostling with FedEx for the top spot, Bloomberg said. Emirates cargo fleet is currently all Boeing and some of its 100-plus Boeing 777 passenger planes could be converted for cargo use too, the company told Bloomberg. The interesting part is that while cargo yields have fallen from their COVID peak, they remain 20% above pre-pandemic levels and demand is also increasing in the lead-up to Christmas, said Bloomberg. Global air cargo demand grew 1.5% in August from a year earlier, the first increase in 19 months according to the International Air Transport Association. Middle Eastern carriers saw a 1.4% increase on-year rise in cargo volume, continuing a three-month upward trend, while capacity was almost 16% higher than in August 2022, said Bloomberg. Emirates Sky Cargo has 11 dedicated Boeing freighters and added two wet-lease 747 cargo planes during COVID. It also ordered five new Boeing freighters a year ago and is converting 10 Boeing 777-300 extended-range passenger jets. The point being that an airline can get almost another 10 years of service from aircraft that are switched to the cargo side from the passenger side, Emirates told Bloomberg. On that high-flying note, at least for cargo, that's it from me for today. Have a great day ahead. This was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in that is www.thecore.in or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at thecore.in. Thank you for listening. Thank you.